0: You are listening to the engineering ignition podcast, your weekly insights into the engineering sector sponsored by Bonfire Recruitment, helping engineering leaders across the UK to attract the best talent for their engineering company. Ignite your business or career today by visiting www.bonfireengineering.com. Here's your host, Scott Buchanan. Welcome to this week's Engineering Ignition Podcast with myself, Scott Buchanan. Thank you for taking the time to tune in, and I do hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm delighted to be joined online by Stephen Fox, who's a managing partner of Energy Pro Limited and is also a partner at Cameron Barney. To be honest, I must say I'm truly delighted to have Steve with me today for a number of reasons, one of which is, of course, um, our hot topic of accessing India, But also, I've noticed um, Steve's family history, or his surname, has caught my eye, and I'm keen to learn a little bit more about that as well. But our hot topic today um, around accessing India, Steve has a perfect perspective on. um, He's a really interesting gentleman who has been exposed to a number of energy-related challenges over his 30-year tenure, and has a superb perspective on energy efficiency, energy sustainability and improving energy productivity within organisations of varying sizes and scale. And I've been learning not all of these have been in the UK. I will let Steve introduce himself and do himself probably more justice than I have just done. Good morning, Steve, and welcome to the Engineering Ignition Podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Scott. So Good morning to you and uh, hello to everybody listening in. Uh, It's very good to have this opportunity to talk to you.
0: And and we're grateful for you, for your time. Um, as as I said in the introduction, there that, that there may be a case that some people are wondering if we actually are if we're actually talking because of our business name Bonfire Recruitment is tying in well with your surname of Fox. I mean, is is there any truth in the rumor that um, a member of your family was accused of blowing up the House of Parliament a little while ago in sixteen o five? Surely not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a-
1: a- absolutely it, it always gets a bit hazy when you go that far back but it it was traced back The ancestry was traced back By a great uncle of mine Many years ago And he ended up marrying A lady who had also Traced her ancestry back And strangely enough She had traced her ancestry back To Captain Nivett And Captain Nivett Was the captain that arrested Guy Fawkes In 1605 So it was a spooky uh, coincidence That somehow they got together In the 50s And uh, got married So this sort of re- reunion of the Fawkes and the Nivet family, very strange, but yes, I, as best can be proven, there is a relationship, and uh, as I always say, related to Guy Fawkes, the only man to go to Parliament with totally honest intentions.
0: <laughs> that is absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible, and and to have full circle perspective on that is, is, is amazing. But um, um, today we're, we're discussing a hot topic of accessing India, which will focus on, again it's part of Steve's journey in developing and re- refining your company's offering, and which focuses on energy, um, both from an efficiency, sustainability, and improvement perspective, um, and, and specifically to the Indian government, um, and, and this part of it, which I find very fascinating, is I mean, India as a country, I believe, are typically trying to develop from within. So I can imagine trying to, you know, to get access to India must have been quite a challenge. Um, but before we delve in, um, Steve, more for our listeners who aren't aware of 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 you and and I guess what your businesses have been involved in, are you able to give an overview and and of what you've been involved in and why is energy efficiency so important?
1: Sure, I have been working on energy efficiency, and I suppose what today we'd call sustainable or renewable energy since the early 80s, um, so a long time now this. And my interest in energy, I suppose, started in two ways. One, I remember growing up in the days of the three-day week where we had power cuts um, because of the economic situation and the miners' strike at that time. And then also visiting a very large uh, hydroelectric power station in Scotland. And so the problems of energy, how we use How we um, use it sustainably and economically, all those problems became interesting and I studied a degree about energy and then worked more on energy efficiency because it seemed that that was a problem worth solving. Um, The potential for energy efficiency and improved efficiency is still huge. Uh, It's a great sort of economic opportunity that we're still only using a tiny fraction of. And of course, it is the cleanest, cheapest, and quickest way of um, getting energy services, which is actually what we want. We want to be able to um, heat our house, make things, drive around. Um, And as one of the top energy gurus, uh, Amory Lovins always says, have warm showers and cold beer, and that's energy (laughs) services. Indeed. And I
0: guess, I mean, you you are an absolute, you've, you've been involved in for a significant amount of time. And then I guess you've, you've fallen, whether you've fallen or you've created, I mean, from a business perspective, Steve, how, how is it tied together? How, how is your interest in energy um, tied in with, with your business perspective? Sure. Well,
1: having worked for a long while as a consultant, helping big organisations address their energy bills, and then getting involved in energy services, um, particularly with RWE, the German Utility and Building an Energy Services business for them. Um, I then spent a while in financial services when the financial services and the investment world got very interested in clean energy and wind power and solar and all those things. So it was a then became a combination of the engineering, the energy and the financial world, which is a very interesting place to be. And then in 2012, I created Energy Pro as a consultancy to help companies and investors and also governments and and government agencies understand what we now call the energy transition. So this shift towards cleaner, more distributed energy, which is a, a mega shift that's happening everywhere. And so Energy Pro advises companies, investors and governments and government agencies and multilaterals on energy strategy, energy efficiency, um, where to invest in the area, and those kinds of things. And out of that has spun a number of other businesses, including the joint venture with a company called Energy Efficiency Services Limited. EESL, which is the Indian state-owned energy services company, and created that joint venture back in 2017. But if you'd said to me in 2015, oh, you're going to have a joint venture with the Indian um, state-owned energy service company, I would not have believed you. It, was, it wasn't on the radar. It wasn't a sort of plan. But it but it
0: happened. Absolutely, I mean that is incredible. Absolutely incredible. So, so how did it happen? What, what, what? what I mean, was it planned? I mean, what, what, was there any connections to, to it, or did you get? Was it the phone going one day or an email from someone? How, how did it begin?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting story. It was literally an email from somebody and. I had no plans to work in india i'd always thought India would be a really interesting place to visit, but I'd never even visited it and I had done, and we had done work in different countries you know before, but never india mm-hmm. and I suppose in the in the period from twenty twelve we had created a a sort of reputation as being expert in energy efficiency and particularly around financing of energy efficiency and what's known as energy services. And completely out of the blue, I got an email saying, um, it's been recommended that we talk to you. And this came from EESL. I uh, okay, I'll talk to anybody about, you know, business. And mess up with... Um, Lady who was a representative of ESL who'd been sent to the UK to find um, somebody to work with, and at that point they were just looking for a consultancy advice on on the market and what they should do in the market and what the regulations were and that sort of thing. So we talked, and obviously we negotiated a, a, a contract just to help them at first from an advisory point of view, and then in the course of that. They said, well, we actually want to invest into the UK. And after we said, why? Because they're a very big Indian state-owned entity, and was obviously there's massive things going on in India, lots of things they should, they should do. And, and they said, well, we want two things. One, we want to diversify, but more importantly, we want to learn skills and techniques and technologies that may have applications in India in future. I said, okay, right, now we understand the purpose. So we started looking for things to for them to invest in. And when we found some initially a couple of small companies that were interesting, we said, well, here's some small companies, you know, it'll be a toe in the water. They're quite tiny compared to you, but it's better to start small and it gets you in the market rather than just saying you're going to be in the market. Um, And then we said, somewhat cheekily how about forming a joint venture and they said yes um and they've then followed a process of um conversations and negotiation as you would expect the managing director of esl mr Saurabh kuma came over and he and i met and you ended up with this joint venture between two very very different organizations esl very large, um, or certainly large compared to us, uh, hundreds of millions of turnover in India. It is state owned, but it is actually run on commercial um, grounds. Uh, but it ultimately is responsible to the four big electricity utilities in India and the Ministry of Power. It's sort of directly linked into the Ministry of Power. And then us, a UK-based SME. So you have these two very different organizations. And you think, how can you marry those two together? But at the end of the day, we discovered, um, particularly in sort of conversations between myself and Mr. Saurabh Kumar, who's the managing director of EESL, we discovered a common purpose of the two organizations, which was to promote the uptake of energy efficiency. And uh, I suppose at the end of the day, improve the planet um, by improving energy efficiency. So two very different organizations, same purpose, enables you to work together and get things done.
0: Which which is absolutely incredible, but for the common goal, um, and even more prevalence considering the world has signed up for the um, the, the 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 target of twenty fifty now in, in carbon emissions. Um, I mean, just thinking be, kind of time between the lines and, and what we do when when we try and find the right type of whether it's an expert or a leader into an organisation, and um, one. Key challenges understanding the scale and size of each of the you know where the the potential well, where the organisation is and where it's going to versus obviously where they're looking to attract the talent from. Um, I mean, if, if you were uh, effectively at a smaller, with respect to you and your business, a smaller consultancy working with a massive um, you know effectively country utility company. I mean, how how did, what, what challenges, if any, did that present? I mean, what what was your what was your take?
1: Taken on that situation well certainly challenges of course in in lots of dimensions one processes um our process if you know if we need to make a decision corporately well either I could make a decision or I can just talk to a couple of people who are my partners and make yeah. a decision um, but that doesn't happen in an Indian state-owned entity. There are processes that have to be going through, as you would expect, in any big corporate, and, and in a sense, no different than dealing with a big corporate uh, or a big utility here at one level. But then overlaid on that, you have the international dimension and the cultural dimensions that you have to be aware of whenever you're working internationally. Um And, you know, obviously communication problems. Communication is incredibly difficult even when we think we speak the same language. And sometimes, certainly in my experience over the years, when uh, people are speaking English, it's even easier to think that they totally understand or you and they totally understand each other. And then often you find out later that you didn't. Um, Sometimes it's easier almost when people speak Not so good English, but of course, in India, the English is incredibly good. And it's total, that is the language, Um, but even so understanding and communication. Very much so. And I understand
0: having worked with a number of organisations, it could be written down the same way, but it's actually the translation of the words or what has been spoken that can can lead itself into future challenges. But uh, yes, incredibly tough times and probably exciting times for you as well at that point, Steve. Did you you recognise how exciting it would
1: be? Or were you just carrying on as business as normal, this is what we expected to be doing? No, I mean we were very excited about it, and and although I said earlier that we had not planned this particular development or planned to do anything with India, um, we had sat around as a management team and said, well, we really need to do something other than consultancy because although consultancy is good and it can be a sort of leading edge for talking to clients at high level and so forth, you know, at the end of the day, in any consultancy business, you have to keep turning the handle and your kind of time horizon for future work that you can see is quite short. So we had thought, well, it'd be great to get into some asset ownership or or some ongoing operating business in some way. Um, So there was that intention there it was just we never expected it to arrive in the form of ESL turning up from India saying we want to invest in the UK. <laughs> Absolutely so so from an EEsl
0: perspective I mean what what was in it for them and for India what, I mean why as I touched on earlier on I mean India's a very proud nation a very highly capable nation as well I mean what, why couldn't they do it themselves I mean what, what was in it from, from their perspective?
1: Yes, um, I mean a couple of things. Uh, I mean, primarily, I think, although they talked about diversification, I think that's relatively small. Primarily, I would say um, this gaining expertise and know-how and technologies because India, obviously, is a massive um, country, massive population. The energy needs are growing incredibly, and you know, even access to energy has been a big problem. That now pretty much got on top of that in that everybody has access to electricity, um, which in itself is an incredible achievement. But when you project forward with the population growing and the economy growing, India's energy needs are just colossal and will affect... The whole world. Certainly if, if they'd continued down the conventional route of building coal-fired power stations, um, you know, the emissions from that would be catastrophic. And and they know that and they recognize it. And they have a very strong policy. So so their policies are good um, on renewables and they're, and they're deploying renewables at massive scale. And they also want to um, do a lot in efficiency, but there are just certain areas where there isn't a particular capability. And the, and the one that they've achieved um, by making the acquisition of ADINA, the co-generation company or combined heat and power company, mm-hmm. In India, there is a massive emerging need as there is in much of the developing world for cooling. You know, here we worry about heating, of course, because, on, but in India, it is extremely hot, particularly in the summer and cooling. And in any country, as you get wealthier, the first thing you buy is a bit of air conditioning. Um, and there is a, plot that says there's a link between how wealthy people are and how much air conditioning they buy. And when the Indian government projected forward, um, it said, well, if everybody buys air conditioning at the same rate as China did, as they industrialized and became wealthier, we'd need to build, I can't remember the exact number, but it's like... 15 gigawatts of power station just to feed the room air conditioners that people would be buying. And so when you look at that from a capital point of view and uh an environmental point of view, that wasn't sustainable. So they came up with the need for a sustainable cooling strategy, and they were the first country in the world to do this. And part of that is what's called tri-generation. So for big buildings, um, hotels, hospitals, some ministry buildings, government buildings, you can have systems that generate power locally and generate Heat, which can be turned into cold, that's called tri-generation. Mm-hmm. So, Adina, the company that we acquired through the joint venture, has expertise in that area. And although you know there had been some projects like that in India before, what ESL wanted to do was combine it with their financing ability because they do things on a sort of finance basis. And so tri-generation as a service to those large buildings. So we have a situation here where they invested into the UK company, which is a great company in its own right and will continue to grow in the UK, Um, but then using that expertise in India to solve a major sustainability problem and a sustainability problem that actually we should all be concerned about.
0: Very much so. And that, that that circular approach, I guess, I guess it's helped the UK, you know, from that perspective and then giving it back to, to India as well. I mean, is there anything out of that, Steve, specifically just this particular area that maybe the UK could could learn from? I mean, is there anything there that or maybe has learned from
1: at this piece? Well, well I think um, there's... Policies and, and commitment to, to the objectives perhaps are stronger in India. Um yeah. you know, we have good policies and some good commitments, but in India it's okay. it's probably stronger. I also think, you know, what they've done, and of course they have the benefit of huge scale, but what ESL is famous for is scaling things up. And so they went from a startup to I think from memory, $400 million, something like that turnover in just a few years. So by taking one model and replicating it and scaling up, and and this is kind of applicable to SMEs generally in the UK, whatever sector they're in, we we have quite a lot of SMEs, but we're not on the whole good at scaling things up. So scale up. is essential really yeah
0: okay so it's it's that it's that when you know from the sme piece through to um identifying that the right and good companies and the energy efficient companies are developing energy efficiencies for other companies or other utilities um that, that should have the, the investment in them um okay so i guess it's tying in, so, you, so I'm, I'm picturing the scene we've got, um, you know, you, you get your business um, working hand in hand or in partnership with with effectively the Indian government um, working out the, the best methods of delivering a sustainability cooling strategy or supporting them from that perspective. I mean, did you have anything specific, I mean, had your background lent itself well to that before? Had you been involved in anything of that nature or a part of a project maybe Maybe in, in, in your days gone by or or was this something that was fresh and you had to 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 kind of work it out as you went along
1: well i i, I suppose at one level i don't think anybody had done this before but you know there are parallels and i'd done several international projects and i'd also done projects where you work through a, a, a systematic process of saying, "Okay, here's the potential," um, developing a plan, and, and implementing it. And there's a sort of commonality to that. Um, I think the difference difference in India is one, obviously, scale that we've talked about. Things that you you get used to big numbers pretty rapidly when you look at India. Yeah, uh, say so scale is different. And and also, I think the fundamental driver, and maybe that comes from, you know, it's not really the appropriate term anymore, developing country, because w- all countries are developing, but, a, you know, a less developed country or whatever the right term is now, you know, you're literally talking life and death, you know, cooling, you know, if it's 45 centigrade outside and you don't have cooling, um, people die just like if it's very cold here and you have lousy heating or badly insulated buildings, people can die. But in that seems to give them more of a, an incentive really um and a drive a drive a real drive at at the top level to change things that sometimes maybe we're just a bit too comfortable sometimes yeah okay
0: and was there a particular strategy that that you, you you did i mean what what did you do steve i mean what what happened
1: well we were asked to find things for them to invest in so we we went through a kind of process of of reviewing different segments of the market and said, well, this is interesting. And then we looked at what their problems were and talked to them about what the problems were. And this area of sustainable cooling came up um, as one of the key priorities. So said, okay, well, this company does some of that. It's got basic technology, which can be used for sustainable cooling through tri generation. Would this fit? And um ESL responded very positively and said yes. Yeah. So then then of course we moved into what was a fairly conventional acquisition uh, process with the company, but um, you know it was a bit strange, kind of contacting the company and saying, "Well, actually, we've got this entity that you've probably never heard of, but is actually quite big and it's from <laughs> India, <laughs> and it's actually owned by the Indian government." Um, so you know that sort of gave a bit of a credibility problem until we really explained it. But yeah, so then we we managed the process and, and executed it, and then you know, paste acquisition. I sat on the board of Adena and of the joint venture company, but um, ESL has really been applying its expertise and its access to finance in India to develop projects in India, which, you know, the first ones are now underway. And so Adena has shipped um, engines and systems out of its plant in uh, northern ireland and and its offices from manchester people working across borders really to deliver these projects which is great
0: which is incredible absolutely incredible and and i guess i mean if if you were to have looked at this situation again i mean would you have done anything differently do you think is there anything there that you know i wish i'd done you know whatever it was definitely. do you reckon there's no way you know you've you've got to this position because you've had to, to work it out
1: Well, I mean, you kind of think back and say, yeah, I could have done this particular thing differently, perhaps always. But um, overall, I I don't think we would have done anything very different. I think, uh, you know, we responded, thought about it communicated ideas and strategy and and agreed that strategy at each step. And and we're very fortunate that we do have such a good relationship with the ESL and they're they're very committed to to the joint venture. And, and, uh, you know, there is a great partnership there, as I say, by this, really united by this common purpose. And uh, that overcomes the day-to-day difficulties sometimes. So
0: yeah no absolutely and and would you say i mean looking over your tenure i mean is this up there in terms of your your proudest moment or i mean how would you how would you rate this in the, the scale of of what you've been involved in so
1: far Steve? yeah i've you know been lucky enough to be involved in a few yeah. big, <laughs> big deals and big things in in my little world of energy efficiency but i think this is definitely up there because you know eesl um has a global presence and a global, um, a global fame really in in, the, in its own world, in our world, and so yeah, definitely. And and you know when you have the president of the World Bank talking about them, and uh, wow. and and the Prime Minister of India talking about them, <laughs> it, it doesn't get much better than that, really.
0: It's incredible, isn't it? And and it shows you how how. Um... Incredible, and, and and you know what I mean. Those types of organisation and individuals as well wouldn't be saying that unless they truly believed that. So that's that's in, in, incredible. And what what about the? So you, you you've invested plenty of time, it would appear, and, and money. I'm sure, no doubt, into India. I mean, what what about the United Kingdom? I mean, what, what about our country that, that we're we're in, where it's it is the opposite? I guess certainly in in sunny Scotland today, where it's it's the heating that needs on, and and these. Scenarios I mean is, is there anything that what you've learned we could or your business could get involved in with with the United Kingdom?
1: Well, one of the projects that we have on the mo- uh, on at the moment, which is supported by Bayes, the, the government department BAIS, um, is actually to develop a, a model for. Improving energy efficiency for SMEs, and SMEs are always difficult because, you know, as, as we know from being an SME, as an owner of an SME, you're focused on the core business, you don't have much time and you're, you're dealing a whole load of bureaucracy for the government and other people that you'd rather not do, all of those problems are running in SME, And so improving efficiency or moving to a more sustainable energy source is actually pretty low on the priority. So SMEs are really hard to access. So we've been fortunate enough to get a, a grant from Bayes under their competition to to develop a new business model for making it easier and um, cheaper, if you like, in time and, and certainly financially to improve energy efficiency. So we're, we're developing that at the moment and uh, piloting it in Oxfordshire. And it will be kind of hopefully rolled out towards the end of this year or early next year on a more national basis. But we've developed a model that sort of learned a little bit from from the Indian experience where it's... Delivery has to be local because you know SMEs on the whole operate in local markets and are local businesses. And so you have to have local delivery. There's no point us sitting at the center in London or Glasgow or anywhere else sort of trying to deploy expertise and, and technology into hundreds and hundreds of SMEs um, across the country. We need local delivery. So we have we think we've got to right, a good formula for it. You know, we're, we're fortunate enough to have this support from Bayes to develop that. And, um, you know, we, we look forward to telling people more about it in, in the coming months, really. Perfect. Well, that, that's really good to hear. And I guess
0: from a, a diversification perspective, is there any um, is there any angles there that that you're thinking? You know, because when, once this is covered, and clearly, to be fair, you know, once this is covered, this, these are massive topics. Um, but you know, it, it, in terms of minimising risk, you know, all it would take, I guess, is is someone else to have a good idea. I mean, is there any other angles that you've thought of that you could you could get involved in?
1: Well, a couple of things, really. Um, the model that I was just talking about, we've already got international interest in it. So it's um, based from Europe, the US, and in fact, just this week from uh, East Africa. So, you know, we think there is potential, if we get it right, there's potential to replicate it internationally. But also with our links to EESL and in India, um, which are... I'd say unique really. Um, you know, we're actually now helping other companies that have any uh technology or a service around the energy transition. We're helping them to access India, which is sort of where we started the conversation, I guess. That yeah. so we 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 have the connections and um know how to identify the opportunities to know what they are, and we have a system for scanning companies here. Um and looking at the potential for their technology in India and then putting in place um, the connections really. And those connections can take different forms, including bringing investments in so that they can access India. And again, okay, like everywhere else at the moment, the economy is turned down in India, but when you look at the growth plans over the next five and ten years and the growth potential it is absolutely massive um, and so we're working with a number of uk um, companies to take their technology to india and we see big big potential yeah so' it's, it's kind of going full circle but you you
0: you're leading from the front as you have done i mean for, from for the future stephen you, you you've Touched on it, I guess. I mean, what, where do you see the future um, going? I mean, what 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 is is it going to run out in India, and you do have to focus on Africa, or I mean, is, is there still expansion to happen?
1: Um. Well, yeah, the crystal ball would be nice, <laughs> but uh, the um, I mean, I don't think India is ever going to run out again. I mean, the scale is of everything is huge. I think again, though, it's what's our role in that? As say, uh, we can help. Many other companies access to India, but I think it is interesting that when you look at where like East Africa is now, it's probably where India was, you know, twenty or thirty years ago. I guess yeah. I'm not a, an expert, but I, I kind of get that sense. And so, a lot of the and they do look to India for a model, and and particularly with the ESL because it's achieved this global fame. And so, there is potential to use similar approaches there. And as I said, we've had some conversations just this week about that. Um, And then the Middle East, I mean, the one thing about energy efficiency, unlike every other conventional energy sources like oil and gas, is it's not going to run out. I have a blog called Only 11% and it's called Only 11% because when you look globally, we only get 11% of useful services out of all the energy we use. So, you know, the rest is effectively wasted some of that we can't do anything about because of thermodynamics but the potential for improvement is still huge so i think we've got a few years few years left yeah
0: i mean that's incredible isn't it 11 and uh, you know the inefficiency there must be (laughs) and when you you drill it all down so i mean what what percentage do you reckon is feasible there
1: steve what do you reckon is is realistic to be more efficient by Uh, well i mean if we got to even 15%, the economic effect would be in the billions and trillions. I mean, I think, yeah, obviously, the oil price is low at the moment, yeah. but there used to be a number knocking around that, you know, the world spent $6 trillion on energy. Um, most of that is wasted. Um, you know, if you take out 10%, or if you take out a trillion out of that, it's still significant money, you know, real money yeah. in in yeah. It's hard to get your head around these kind of trillions, you know. <laughs> but you, you're talking about real money, as somebody once said at, at that level. Yeah,
0: I, I was reading somewhere just when you're talking about large numbers. I was reading um, earlier around you. You touched on on um, one of your blogs, I'm sure you're saying that there's potential in India, something like 200, 275 gigawatts of of renewable, you know, energy there. And, and I was trying to work out put a scale around that, I mean, if I believe, and correct me where I'm wrong, Steve, you, you'll know much better than I do, but you know, one gigawatt is expected to give, say, 700,000 homes worth of energy. You know, so what 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 you're actually talking about without doing too much, I guess, you know, like yes, there's lots to be done, but actually without you know, it's it's in the realms of reality. You know, it was the, the numbers, it was, you know, 1.9 billion homes. You know, it's incredible.
1: Wow, yeah, totally. And, and and also perhaps the easier way of thinking about it, well, at least for me, I, the homes thing is always used, but actually a gigawatt is about the size of a nuclear power station. There we go.
0: Um, okay.
1: Um, also, if you look at the total UK grid capacity, so all of the capacity that we have—everything, wind, solar, nuclear, coal, oil—although fortunately the coal hasn't run for the last twenty days. But uh, if you take all of that, we have seventy-three gigawatts, and India is planning two hundred and seventy-five gigawatts of renewables, and then and more. some more. Mind blowing! I mean, absolutely mind-blowing! Wow,
0: um, incredible! So, I guess you know what, what challenges do you? that the UK or the UK industry has in, in energy transition, energy and resource efficiency? What, what are the key issues that, that I guess we need to look at as a, as a country?
1: Well, I think we're, we seem to have got over the, the hump of actually sharing that Renewables work at scale, and we've got a lot of offshore wind, so that's good. You know, Even a few years ago, the majority opinion within the industry was, oh, we'd never be able to get to, I don't know, pick a number, 20% and then 40% of renewables, and now we're rapidly either approaching or have gone through that level, um, and the system hasn't fallen over, um, contrary to what people said. So we've had that mind change. I think that the big change that's got to come is the move away from electricity being something that is done for you at a big centralized level. And what we're moving towards is a world where all of us could actually be consumers and producers of electricity, you know, with your solar panels on your house and smart appliances and so on. And, you know, we could all become traders in the power market, if you like. So you have this much more flexible, multi-directional grid, whereas in the old days, the grid was big power station, central, power shipped to you, you're the consumer, you take it, you know, and that's it. Whereas now you have all these multiple directions of flow of power which is really complicated for the grid to transition to because the grid is a huge piece of infrastructure, but that's where it's going and and uh, which ultimately will affect all of us, but will also be cleaner and cheaper to run than the conventional
0: old-fashioned grids. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. And and I guess um, the the, the grid. I mean that that is a major. You know, and there's lots of challenges happening in there at the moment, and lots of of money getting looked at as well. So um, yeah, that that that's um, the way the way of the future, I guess. So look, uh, you know what. what I want to thank you, Steve, for, for taking the time to to talk with me and explain a little bit more about what you've been involved in. It's really interesting. You know, there's a number, there's probably a hundred other angles that we could look into, but I don't want to delve too deeply just now. But certainly from what I've what I've learned today, looking at things from a a local efficiency perspective. Just, just your simple idea there of, of you know, having solar panels in the roof, or, or maybe a, a very localised, I don't know, a biomass power station or, or similar, um, is maybe where we we're going to go, um, and, and actually working out the best way to to sustainably um, have energy. I think is is the future. So, um, th- th- thank you very much for that, and and I really did enjoy talking through well with you, and we may well add on some of these other topics in the future. If, if you're interested um yeah that, that, that was uh, enjoyable good fun absolutely and and should any of our listeners wish to get in contact directly with stephen fox and um, the managing partner of energy pro and um, he is contactable by email on stephen.fox at energyprolimited.com now that brings us to the end of another episode of the engineering ignition podcast Thank you for taking the time to listen and I look forward to our next episode of our Experts and leader series in the very near future. Thanks for listening to the Engineering Ignition podcast. If you've made it this far, we take it that you enjoyed the show. In return, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Subscribe while you're there and we'll catch you for the next episode.